Welcome to Lean Back. I'm Lisa. And I'm Laura. And today we're recording bonus material for season three about Ivanka Trump's new book, Women Who Work, Rewriting the Rules for Success. So, um, yeah, we checked out this book so that you don't have to do it, (laughs) (laughs) basically. Uh, And we chose it, A, because the Republic's in a massive constitutional crisis at the moment, and here we have Ivanka Trump plugging this book of misquoted aphorisms and platitudes in the vein of the lean-in genre of these pithy little books about women and labor in late capitalism. So I guess we want to, I want to start, Laura, by your first impressions of this <laughs> dumpster fire <laughs> of a book. I mean, even the the title alone is misleading because women who work came out of a marketing campaign for Ivanka Trump's sweatshot labor, <laughs> yeah, her line of workwear, um, as an attempt to appeal to working class women. And this book contains no useful advice for <laughs> working class women. Just the title alone. It's like she's trying to sell this book. Like she's trying to sell her line of shoes. Um, and then also rewriting the rules for success <laughs> strikes me as funny. Because first of all, the book is littered, like you said, with uh, quotes that have been taken out of context. And also I, it's unclear to me what is original about this book at all. And she's recycling advice from TED Talks and entrepreneurial gurus. I don't think she says anything original whatsoever. Certainly nothing that could be (laughs) misconstrued as useful advice (laughs) to women. It's like I never thought I would see a book that would actually make Sheryl Sandberg seem vaguely authentic. (laughs) And then this one came along and it's like, oh, right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is like the bastard daughter of that book. I mean, it's so bad. It, I mean, insofar as it's rewriting anything, it's like rewriting these quotes into this absurd architecture of of faux class mobility that doesn't exist anymore. It's like these billionaire, millionaire women are, are just saying that their experiences are somehow completely applicable to the rest of America and American women without any regard to race or class or, you know, sexual orientation or geography or educational attainment or generational wealth. And I think that's the thing that I find most galling is that, you know, her ghostwriter writes this story about her in this way that makes it seem like she was like started from the bottom (laughs) and had to work her way to the top. Like it's the buildings Roman, you know, novel of, of girlhood is coming to age story of her coming to terms with her position in the world. And it's just so ridiculous. It's, it's grotesque, you know, and it's, I don't know, mediocrity and it's mediocre application of the generic rules of form for these kinds of guru texts. I mean, it, it strikes me as so generic because I, there are not a lot of tangible examples of anything. Like one of the only things, like real examples she uses 
in relation to her own life is when she gets a call from Anna Wintour. Like, <laughs> as you do. <laughs> yeah. As you do. Um, who she met modeling as a child. She receives a call from Anna Wintour who offers her a job. And she like, it's such a difficult decision because it's not her passion. And she turns down the job. And she, I mean, it's a concrete example of something that actually happened in her life. But it's so absurd because it's so divorced from <laughs> uh, most people's real life experiences. So the book talks in all these broad generalizations, but you rarely actually see any of who Ivanka actually is. I feel like I'm just in like a Guy Debord moment where it's just all simulation and there's nothing behind it. It's like the holographic version of the thing. I read a bunch of the reviews of the book and I want to read a couple into the historical record for our listeners. What the one is from Wonket and this is what they write. They write, quote, this is a 212 page collection of comically useless pablum and non sequiturs strung together in no kind of coherent fashion and spruced up with a bunch of fancy fonts and headers to pad out the page count, which is totally true. She misquotes Maya Angelou right after quoting Mika Brzezinski. I've learned more by taking heavy drugs and watching squirrels frolic in the park than I did by reading this object that bears all the characteristics of a book and yet still somehow manages not to be a book. This sorry excuse for a tree massacre forcibly reminds me that part of Billy of Madison during the quiz show where the principal explains we are all now dumb for having heard the answer. I mean, I, that's how I felt about <laughs> sort of thinking about this book as an object. Um it just struck me as the most craven exercise in branding that I've perhaps ever seen. I mean, actually. she has like in the dividers of the pages, they're like Instagrammable, glossy. You could take a picture and like reblog um, or post it to Pinterest. And it includes all of these hashtags. One of them is IT wise words. I know. Hashtag IT wise words. <laughs> like, None of them are her <laughs> own words. Yeah. But where are they in the book, though? <laughs> I don't know. But they're like tagged to famous quotes like Friedrich Nietzsche on yeah. the Ubermensch. And then yeah. it's like hashtag IT wise words. What? <laughs> you, ma'am, are no Friedrich Nietzsche, I guess. I mean, the New Yorker um, reviewed this travesty. <laughs> And the title of their review is Ivanka Trump wrote a painfully obvious book for basically no one, <laughs> which sort of sums up. I mean, that's the true, ridiculousness like, of I, it. I just want to know when the advice to follow your passion is going to stop. Oh, my God. Because it's ridiculous. She's she says if you do work that you love and you work really hard. You're gonna be successful. Lean in, and like that's yeah. Lean, lean in. in. When is lean in? <laughs> when will people lean back? I guess is the question I'm asking. But I, it's absurd. Also in the book because she says, "Follow your passions, do what you love," and then she also says, um, "In order to be successful, you just have to be the hardest working person." And then she also says, "You have to find a work life balance." And I'm like. I'm just, I mean, it's even more ridiculous to me in light of the fact that she is like the girl who's going to sell Trump being sort of like good for women. 
So I find that part of this book to be the most offensive and egregious affront to my rationality and education and awareness as just like a human in the world. It's like, oh, okay, well, you know, I care about paid medical leave for families, maternity leave. And it's like, she doesn't even talk about that until like the book's second to last page. Where like, it's a paragraph that briefly mentions like leave and childcare. And it's like, you know, we're watching the dismantling of the largest like public works program in the last 50 years that's going to absolutely devastate women and their children. And you're going to release this book about passion and careerism. It's just, it's so tone deaf to the political climate that her father is actively, you know, cultivating and that she is absolutely benefiting from. It's really hard for me to swallow the fact that Ivanka kind of legitimizes her father's administration. It's total groupthink. For total. women. Mm-hmm. I mean, people are placated by the fact that she seems to have a more reasonable stance compared to her father. <laughs> yeah, totally. But she, it's not clear that she has anyone but her uh, herself in mind and her own interests in mind. Um, she's not even a feminist. No. She's not a feminist. <laughs> No, she's vapid. I mean, she's a complete and total zombie monster. There's nobody in there. There's no way that I can ride for her as an authentic person. I mean, she is just a shill. And so, you know, it's like, oh, come to listen to me for inspiration. I'm like, what? I don't know. Who would do that? This is the least inspirational drivel that any woman could spend $26 on in paperback. I mean, it's, it's, I don't know. I mean, it's I don't horrific. know if that's true. She could be, there could be someone in there. No, I feel, I feel really good cool. making a blanket statement about it. I'll go, I'm on record. No chance. I mean, if she is, though, she's not willing to share it with anyone, which is anti-intimacy. And anti- <laughs> I mean, that's the most generous counter- read. <laughs> it's completely counterproductive to w- women's progress uh, as it stands to... Uh, ever happen now <laughs> i mean it's so funny because you know i'm looking back through some of this now as we're recording and i was particularly struck by her recollections about her own mother um and she she writes um my brothers and i were lucky as our mother was one of the few who were able to mix work and family most women weren't comfortable even discussing their marriages or kids on the job And it's like, your mom didn't mix work and family. She married into massive generational wealth. Like, that, it doesn't even, it it does not even exist in the same realm as work does for the rest of the country. I mean, it's, she is a part of such a small cadre of women that to use that as a representational anecdote that would then, you know, apply to different kinds of women doing wage labor, for example, is so horrific to me. It is, it's so ahistorical and thoughtless and, and such a crude application. And then to say that women weren't comfortable to discussing marriage or kids on the job, it's not because they weren't comfortable, it's because they were structurally prohibited from doing so because of massive, you know, 
patriarchal norms about labor, which of course the book doesn't deal with at all. There's no indictment of structures of generational wealth or organizational wealth that promote the needs and desires of men over women as an intrinsic goal of the apparatus of labor under capitalism. This is what she says about how she related to her mom. I've often reflected upon that trip to Patagonia as it captured a moment in time that was truly pivotal in shaping the rest of my life. As much as I wrestled then with the decision to join my family at the Trump Organization, it turns out that the soul-searching journey led me right where I belonged. Today, I'm Executive Vice President at the Trump Organization, co-founder of Trump Hotels and Scion, and founder of my own fashion brand. Undeniably, one factor in my success has been the doors that my family's name and my privileged upbringing have opened, and I'm deeply grateful for all the opportunities afforded to me, but they alone didn't guarantee my success. Newsflash, they totally did. They definitely guaranteed your success 100% of the time. Yes, they did. You know, this isn't some episode of Undercover Boss where nobody knows who you are. You made sure and your family made sure that your face was splashed upon every tabloid and every vanity magazine from the time that you were born. It's not like you have some, you know, you took some time off from acting to go to Harvard. I mean, you know what I'm saying? The New Yorker, that title you read is right. Like, the book isn't for anyone it's it's, it's masturbatory it's completely the family work life thing that is absurd to me i mean i i can't even take off work when i'm sick like i can't call into work they're like i'm sorry no one else can work for you like you have to come in i've been sick before and been completely unable to get off work and if i had children if i had kids i mean i i don't know how that works i mean she's like Curiosity, passion, hard work, and perseverance enabled me to prove my work or my value to myself and others beyond my surname. Right. And this is how she talks about that, right? She's like, I worked really hard, and so I deserve what I got, which is uh, ridiculous. While we made a lot of progress since my mother's generation, many of the realities these women face are still a concern for us today. Too often, for reasons like a lack of flexibility or poor support at home and or at work, Women are talking themselves out of greater opportunities. Here we have that lean-in mantra that women are doing it to themselves. Women are sabotaging and they're seeing limitations that somehow don't really exist. They're not structural. They're inside of women. And if you just read the right combination of, of poorly uh, quoted you know, aphorisms from famous people, then somehow magically you're going to be able to cut, overcome this negative thinking and, you're, and the victim blaming and you're going to be, what, a Trump kid? <laughs> what is what is the what is the lesson for that? How is that rewriting the rules of success? This book is sprinkled with a bunch of jargon, like identity politics jargon every couple sentences so that it sort of feels good as like a book that would fit into a genre of people who are promoting this bullshit self-help culture that we have impugned in other episodes directed entirely at women in a culture that persistently undermines their efficacy and political agency. And this book does nothing to shatter that or bend the genre or critique it. And there's no critique here whatsoever. And that's what makes it so vapid and shallow. It reminds me of, like, Gwyneth Paltrow's goop, like, <laughs> lifestyle branding, which, I mean, she's not alone in um, shilling her own personal brand in order to sell people things. I think one of the things that goop is most famous for um, is 
selling or promoting detox like diets or not eating at all fasting, <laughs> um, which I mean, to starve yourself in order to feel good makes no sense to me. <laughs> it makes zero sense. But these women are starved. There are no ideas that they're circulating. All they're doing is circulating, you know, marginally useful capital. And I'm being generous there. I mean, they are starved for lots of things. Women in the culture, this culture, are, are absolutely subsisting on table scraps for emotional sustenance and political power and intimacy and you know, community engagement. So I understand why starvation then seems like something that you can elevate as a tool of control over yourself and managing your emotions about feeling so completely cut out of culture and having no tools or resources from which to build. So it's, it doesn't surprise me that, you know, deprivation becomes an avenue of of wealthy women producing more capital for themselves. It just is tragedy to me that that is what they are selling and marketing towards people who are not in their tax bracket as though that would be some sort of reasonable path for them. Yeah, like buying a $1,000 blazer is not in the realm of possibility for most for most women. No. So it's an absurd <laughs> practice. I mean, sort of like in, a, in the counterfactual world, I would sit down with Ivanka Trump and be like, oh, well, you quoted Ellen Johnson's Sirleaf in your most recent book. Tell me what you know about her work in Liberia. Like, what about her personal narrative or her political career or, you know, her massive oratorical canon appealed to you for this? I mean, I would just like uh. to be like, when you read The Genealogy of Morals, um, what did you think about Nietzsche's use of the tightrope as a metaphor for the fin de siècle moment as Europe transitioned from one century to the next? I mean, I, like, oh, but you didn't write your book because it was ghostwritten, which is a thing that happens. But also, like, you're responsible for this trash that you are now circulating, you know, throughout America and the world. So I have a couple questions <laughs> about, about that. Glossing Toni Morrison. When you made the decision to take a quote out of a Toni Morrison book about slavery and put it unironically into your trade paperback um, while benefiting from slave labor, <laughs> what, what went through your mind? What did you, what were you thinking about that? I you were think thinking, here's, here's how Toni Morrison is going to help American women find their passion at work. Okay, because that's not, that's not a thing. I mean, she would never take that kind of interview. No. Because I, Ivanka is really good at being kind of a tabula rasa, and you can kind of assume that she's on your side with whatever you <laughs> like you she can be whatever you want her to be because there's not a lot of personality that she has expressed and it's funny to me because um she says almost nothing confrontational most of the time and she, this book also is i mean she says nothing surprising or new 
or confrontational, but it's still probably the object of the most <laughs> criticism. Derision, um, anyway. Yeah. I mean, here is the New York Times, the New York Times Sunday Review writes, whisper that inspirational mantra through clenched teeth to your reflection and paint that smile on your face, girl. Oh, and try not to break a leg on your way to work or your medical debt will lead you to your eventual bankruptcy and ruin. I mean, the whole, it's just like people are hate reading this book out of rage for the way in which she is sort of pink washing her dad's administration in this like, you know, add a girl and stir sort of diversity model that is the de rigueur way of understanding, you know, how we see race and gender in organizations. And I just, it really feels to me like, like pink washing, like the, okay, well, it's Susan Komen and we're just going to have, you know, pink handguns to support breast cancer. And we're going to have pink tennis shoes and pink toolboxes and pink, 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 as though somehow feminizing the purchasing power then radicalizes the purchasing power. I mean, it's, it's just ridiculous. It's just such a mind fuck. And thinking about Ivanka as a mother is also kind of offensive to me in this book, thinking about, especially when she talks about women with kids and women without kids and her being a mother herself, what she wants for her daughter. It's like you have a team of nannies. You have an entire, like, family of humans dedicated to watching your children 24-7 for you. There and And you do not make that, you know, underpaid labor visible in your book about women and work, which is, I mean, it's horrific to me. Like you, she makes nothing visible about the structures that enable her success that also function simultaneously to depress other women and hold them back, even when they're in her interpersonal life. It's also interesting that there's not a ton of stuff in here about female friendships. Like, she's constantly talking about my team, my team, my team, my team. It's all of this paid labor, hyper, hyper, I don't know. There's nothing organizational. really specific about women, no. even. There are a few mentions of women, like, being disadvantaged in particular. Um, and how that plays into their workplace behavior. Um, but most of the advice is very general. It doesn't even apply specifically to women. That's just the title because she wants to sell books. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a market for that. The book has nothing to do really with women. For me, success means being an involved mother, a loving wife, and being incredibly committed to my work. As a result, it also means I go to bed much later and get up much earlier than I did before I had kids! Exclamation point. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> I mean, this is, like, so banal. You can find better writing on mom blogs in every single, you know, mid-sized city in America that is more profound and useful and clever and productive than anything on any page in this book. I mean, the only reason this book even exists is because she belongs to the Trump empire. Yeah. 
She couldn't sell anything if she wasn't Ivanka Trump. This like is already said. I mean, <laughs> this is like if Palpatine had a daughter and wrote a book. <laughs> It's like <laughs> being a mother in the Death Star, a memoir yeah. for the ages. Well, I'd still rather read that than watch The Phantom Menace. So <laughs> I'm with Let's you there, it. sister. I'm with you there, sister. Yeah, this is no rogue one. She's not. There's nothing rogue about Ivanka Trump. Like she and she cites Sheryl Sandberg throughout the book, and I mean that's clearly what the takeoff is. But but you're right that this is just derivative. <laughs> This is like the 10th generation of the most mediocre interventions into self-help culture that women have seen in my lifetime. I kind of want to like go through all the TED Talks and edit them, and I bet I could find a way to match the text of the book completely with <laughs> TED Talks. I mean, here, here's some advice that she would give us, Laura. She says that she encourages women wherever they are in their careers, to prioritize building a life that's true to them and that honors their own individual passions and priorities. How do you do that without health insurance? How do you do that without a real living minimum wage? How do you do that without, I don't know, fair and equitable landlord-tenant laws? How do you do that without flexible FMLA family leave? How do you do that with a pre-existing condition? How do you do that when your dad is appointing all of these people to the courts that are absolutely going to stop massive class action lawsuits against corporations for their inability to promote women or pay them a fair wage? How do you do that with the dismantling of the Justice Department? I mean, it's so fucking crass to me. It's just revolting. Uh, and, I, and I'm just like looking at the cover of this book you know, doing the Barbie thing, and she's completely contorted. She's touching her behind her earlobe with one hand. Her arms and legs are crossed. She's in, she's taking up the least amount of space possible. She's airbrushed to hell and back. I mean, she is literally the disappearing woman. There is nothing about this that makes any kind of statement or that takes up any productive space. And I mean productive not in the labor sense, but in the generative sense. I mean, she can't even take up space on the cover of her book. She is shrunk into the box um, that her, her father has made for her. And it seems to me that her entire purpose in this administration and with like what her public persona is supposed to be, including with this book, is to placate people about the Trump administration. Yeah. That her presence in it is a source of comfort <laughs> because she's, like, calm and... She has the temperament that her father doesn't have? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I don't know that she leads with the purpose as she, as she tries to say she does in Chapter 6. I mean, there's nothing about her that reads to me as, you know, as a, a series of leadership qualities that I would like to see in a woman with as much influence as she might po possibly have. I just also don't think that her father takes her seriously as a peer. Like, that's clearly not the case. With his sexualizing comments about her as a, you know, teenager, I mean, I just think she's an accessory and that she has fallen into the way in which women are slotted into that level of 
power and capital in a place like the Trump Organization or in a place like the White House right now. And she exists entirely to dress up and ornament an otherwise tacky shit show of abusive power. Thanks for listening. These materials are not endorsed, approved, sponsored, or provided by or on behalf of the University of Arkansas Fayetteville.